I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey guys, Jesse and Dara here at The Chord Club to chat with an amazing artist who also happens to be just a really cool, relatable person, which makes her accomplishments all the more inspiring. You might know her as the lead singer in the band Crooked Still, or from her more recent solo work, or maybe, like me, you were sitting around your parents' house one night when they turned on Prairie Home Companion, and there she was as well. Her new album is called In the Magic Hour, and she'll treat us to a live performance of that title track at the end of this conversation. Please welcome to Soul Sisters, Aoife O'Donovan. So let's just, just roll into a chat. Great. Cool. And just, I don't get any, like, you You can just throw curveballs at me and I, I'm not going to have any. Uh... <laughs> You're like, tell me your deepest, darkest <laughs> secret desires. See, let's I, start with that. I feel like since you just said that, <laughs> yeah, there's I something know. already percolating something in your mind. Like, no, I hope they don't ask me about that not. thing. <laughs> this is such a good way to start. <laughs> let's all go around and say a secret. No, no. Okay. I don't have any secrets anyway. Let's say something for the secret. What do we want to manifest in our lives? <laughs> okay, well, this is, a, this is a non sequitur. Yes. Let's just go with that, okay? Yeah. But I just can't stop admiring your ring. It's beautiful. Oh, thank it's you. It's gorgeous. Thanks so much. And one of my questions was going to be about, um, are, do you have a person in your life? And it looks like... I you. do, yeah. I don't usually discuss it publicly, only just because it's And not, I feel like you don't usually ask. Yeah. I don't usually ask, but I <laughs> was curious about... About the the touring life and the musician yeah. life. We haven't really gotten into that, and it's a really interesting True. thing. I'll just go for it. I literally never talk about it because it's sort of yes, this, exclusive. Um, yeah, it's it's also I just think it's a it's not at so all like personal. a part of my my music. You know what I mean? I mean it's not like it's not a part of my my image. I think, and it's just not. I'm not the kind of performer who is wants to sort of talk about my personal life too much. But I have a great man, and he is a musician also, and. Uh, and just extremely supportive as as I am of him, and it's yeah, it works out works out pretty great. Did you meet as fellow musicians? Uh, we met uh, through through a musician friends. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Is his name Garrison Keillor? His name is not Garrison <laughs> Keillor. I'm, I'm great yeah. friends with Garrison Keillor's wife as well. So just in case she's listening, <laughs> I hope that that that's not actually secret. a rumor that's going around. <laughs> I was just trying to think of the most random person that I know you're affiliated with who you yeah. could be engaged to. No, God, no, no. He's, no, okay. he's, a, he's um, somebody who's he's exactly taken. my own age um, and and uh, classical musician. So, yeah. Nice. His name is Eric. Okay. And the touring life then, you both understand that? It's an easier Yeah, it's, thing to... it's actually, it's so much better. I think, I can't imagine being with somebody who was home all the time just because I think it would be really hard to just to sort of always be the one who was leaving. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah. that that's sort of a strange thing. It's it's really nice to to be with somebody who, who you know, even if you're going to be home for a couple of hours and you're busy, it's like they understand that you're busy because you're a self-employed musician. And it's it's great. We we make the most of our time together and it's it's amazing and fabulous. And yeah, very happy. That's a really good wonderful. argument for the pro column of dating another musician. I think, right. it's, I think everybody's different for sure. I think yeah. I, I would say if you're, as long as you're with somebody who's like, uh, um, on a similar motivational track as you, I think it's mm. like it doesn't really matter what they're doing. But as long as they're, yes, they're yes. You, as long as you're like equally motivated. Do you know what I mean? Totally to, to get whatever it is, or equally unmotivated, or e- totally. <laughs> whatever it is, equally, totally. <laughs> yeah. equally something. Yeah, yeah, but on the same, I think on the same level of, of like this is what we want to do today, and this is how we're going to get it done. And and if you're with somebody who's like, but I just want to sit around and do nothing, right? And you're like, but I don't. Like later, Trump. Right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yep. Not to be harsh, but definitely. <laughs> but yeah. it's also interesting. You said um, that that's not what sort of inspires your music. 
I mean, of course, like, you know, musically, everything in your personal life does inspire it in some way. Um, what I meant by that is that it's not, uh, I, I think there are some musicians whose whose image is very much like my husband this or my, you know, my, my children this or whatever. And that's not heartache I, this. Yeah. Or like you know. this person just did this to me and this is, and then I wrote these songs about it. It's like, that's never really been, I just think it's sort of more interesting if there's a little bit of mystery involved in it, you know? I think that's a perfect intro to you as an artist. Yeah. I mean, I think, you <laughs> yes, know, getting maybe into not it. to a podcast because <laughs> we are not going to leave any mysteries here. No, no mysteries. No mysteries <laughs> in the podcast go. world. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I, I have a question. Do you live in Brooklyn? Is that I right? Do, yeah. That was very surprising to me. Really? Yes. Where did you think I lived? Upper like somewhere Mystical that was more place. like Americana-ish or Southern or really no, in I, Ireland. Or, yeah, <laughs> I was just, that's funny. Yeah, I, I grew up magical. in Boston, and um, uh-huh. my dad is from Ireland. And, okay, um, but I live in magical Brooklyn. It's so yeah, magical. No, it is. Come on, no, it is. As an artist, <laughs> yes. it totally makes it's, sense. It's yeah. more like it's. Uh, I've lived there for all oh, seven years, I guess, and. I I really love it. A great living situation. Yeah. A great little Are you in like and, pretty brownstone? Yeah, Brooklyn. brick row house and mm-hmm. the backyard, and it's and, nice. and uh, you know family upstairs, and uh-huh. they've got a little baby, so it's so fun to get to go play with the baby. It's really it's the Brooklyn dream. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know, it's great. Like, <laughs> live on the same block as a bar and a coffee shop and a specialty cheese and beer store and yeah, place where you can get crepes. And I live next to Prospect Park. And uh, yeah, is that inspiring? It is actually inspiring, and I love being outside. I'm really into running. That's like my main, I would say, hobby. And uh, so Presto Park is a great place to sort of just get out. And today was a little cold, I will say. I was like, why am I doing this? Um, but but it is, it's super inspiring to live, to live, I guess, in a city, but feel like you live in a little kind of, in kind of in a little village, I guess, you know? Yeah. It's great. Dara, have you been to Prospect Park? Because many Manhattanites have not, and I get very upset about it, so... No comment. Wait, okay. do you live in? Do you live in Manhattan? I live in Manhattan on the Upper East Side. I've been by Prospect Park many times. It's not your fault. It's the fault of the people in your no, life really who haven't taken you there. It's but, but there's concerts. I, I prefer and, I mean, it to Central Park. So do I. Well, mostly because there's less hills. So I, I'm thinking of it from <laughs> as like a, a runner. purely runner point yeah. of view. The, the couple of races that I've done in Central Park, I've been like, this sucks. I'm never coming here again. <laughs> um, too hilly. Yeah. Talk about tour life and running. Do you get, do you try to do that while you're on the yeah, road? Yeah, that's, that's, I would say like my, my, that's my secret. That's awesome. my secret power. That's <laughs> awesome. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> now it's revealed. <laughs> it's revealed. Yeah. I think just the consistency of having something that you can do every day. Um, something active. Nice. So, well, yes. even just anything you can do the same thing every day and be like, I'm going to have 30 minutes to myself or an hour or 20 minutes if you don't have very much time mm-hmm. and not talk to anybody and just like go outside and do it. It's a, I recommend it so much for musicians because you really have very, especially when you're on tour with other people, you don't have very much time to yourself. And I think if you're like, I'm going for a run, then it's, you, you don't have to, you can't, it's easier to do that than to be like, I'm just going to sit by myself. Don't talk to me. You know? (laughs) Yeah. So I do transcendental meditation. So that's exactly what I have to do is just be like, I'm going to go sit somewhere for 20 minutes, try to be a little quiet. And if you need anything, I know you'll want to just peek your head in, but don't please. And it's really hard to explain. Maybe in the future, people will be more understanding. Well, and that also speaks to how um, you go as a musician, you don't stay out late at night. You don't or you don't get so wild and crazy that the next morning you like you're dead before you have to get up and drive and go to the next location. You can get up early and take a run before everybody has to go. Exactly. Do the I mean, I think that, a I think that a lot of musicians do stay up really late. Right. <laughs> I'm happy that I'm giving the the impression of somebody who never <laughs> stays out late and is always extremely well behaved. Um, but, but so that isn't entirely true. Well, it's like mostly true, I guess. Okay. But there's, you know, you do let loose sometimes. Okay, good. It's healthy. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You have to. You have yeah. to. Um, okay. So now let's take it back, Boston. Irish, Irish, Boston. Well, sort of. Okay. Sort of. Um, dad's I, from Ireland. My dad's from Ireland. So it's it's kind of a different scene than what you might think, mm. like the Irish American Boston community. Yeah. How are they different? Um, well, they're very different. The Irish American community in Boston is sort of, um, you, you know, several generations back. Even like, you know, those people would be, the people who were, say, say my age would have been second or even third generation Irish American and kind of grown up in this tight knit Irish American community of people who would come over sort of around the time. Did you guys see the movie Brooklyn? Uh-huh. Yeah. So like sort of those, that kind of wave of immigrants and their, 
their families. Um, okay. My dad came over to the States in 1980. He was, he was, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. So he's from Ireland. He married my mom, who's American, and we grew up in Newton, Massachusetts, where there was not at all a big Irish population. And okay. sort of my, my Irish connection is more like to Ireland and not, not necessarily with the Irish American community in Boston, although I did grow up um, heavily immersed in that scene through Irish step dancing, which is oh, a wow. great, super fun thing. And, um, and he did have a ton of ton of Irish friends, but we grew up in Newton, which is sort of not not as much what you would associate when you think of like the movies with right, right. the Wahlbergs or yeah. you know, right. like that kind of thing. It's, it's a little different. Yeah. What's your mom's background? She grew up in Boston as well in Newton, where I grew up, and uh, her father was uh, the child of immigrants from Greece. Okay. And my grandmother was um, many generations back, a true you know Massachusetts Yankee, descended from the Salem witches. Wow. All right. So what religiously was happening in your household? Religion. God, you guys are really going for it. Um, <laughs> I we, need the full yeah, context I, here. I, I love this. Uh, there we, my dad is, you know, Irish and um, pretty anti, anti the Catholic church as uh-huh. most people of his generation are, uh, or at least a lot of people of his generation yeah. who grew up sort of under that iron rule in Ireland in the fifties and sixties would be. And my mom, very spiritual, you know, not not super religious. We 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 went to church as as kids. We went to a Presbyterian church that was actually pretty conservative. Sort of that, you know, we were not a conservative family at all. But we ended up at this church that had a great group of people at it. And then I think once my parents kind of realized how conservative it was, they they stopped going there. And we yeah, we were just sort of a spiritual yeah. Let's you know make food for homeless people kind of religious family. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Like Not, humanists kind of. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then musically, what was happening in your house as a kid? Uh, very musical family. I'm the oldest of four kids and uh, my parents both play music and tons of music parties growing up. So lots of musicians coming through town and people staying at our house and jamming all night. Oops, jamming all night. Sorry, <laughs> jamming all stuff. night. Jamming all night. And great Christmas parties where my mom would play the piano and my dad would, you know, lead 12 Days of Christmas. And yeah, lots of lots of music. It's sort of silly, kind of like Von Trapps. Yeah. But Did either of them do it professionally? My dad has a radio show. He, he works oh. uh, for a public radio station in Boston, WGBH. Still and, does? Yep, still does. Wow. And he has an Irish music radio show. He's a DJ? He's a DJ. Wow, yeah, cool. that's awesome. I grew up on a steady diet of public radio. <laughs> and uh, my mother was uh, yeah, just a mom of four kids and also plays the piano and organs and sort of church jobs, you know, plays for funerals and weddings and okay. that, kind of, that kind cool. of thing. Yeah. So you grew up playing guitar? I didn't actually grow up playing guitar. I grew up playing piano and singing and I didn't really start playing guitar. I guess I took some guitar lessons in high school, but I didn't really start playing guitar seriously until maybe four or five years ago. I, I played guitar, like very sort of basic guitar, finger picking with two fingers and just sort of like Joan Baez inspired guitar parts. Um, but it wasn't until I sort of like went solo, quote unquote, that I was like, <laughs> oh, I got to practice the guitar. So yeah. that's when I oh, interesting. started to play guitar a little more. So your aspirations in music when you were growing up were uh, as a singer? As a singer, yeah. Okay. And that's when I went to college for singing. Okay. When did you... Wait, okay, hang on. I feel like we've skipped something. Which is you going to Ireland as a child. Yeah, yeah. Tell I, us about that. So it's, it's so, I, sometimes I feel like I sound like a total spoiled brat when I describe like these idyllic summers. I summered in Ireland. Yeah, it's, but it's, it's was more just like that was, that was the... It's going to visit the grandparents. Yeah, I was going to visit family and it was just this incredible sacrifice, I guess. I'm not even quite sure how they made it work, but every summer it was a, it was a commitment that I think they made to us so that we would have these relationships with our cousins and my, my grandparents and my dad is one of nine kids and he's the only one who left wow. and or he's one of two who left my he had a sister who went to the Bahamas as well and she would go back also in the summers with her her kid um but we would just have we would all be together in the summer they're they're still a very close-knit family like no how many cousins do you have well there's 27 <laughs> grandchildren wow. um and we it's it sounds ridiculous but we really did every summer all get together wow. and they would rent these little cottages on the beach and like every day for weeks we would just all be together and did you like, always love that or was it hard sometimes it. never hard okay. always loved it, it was i mean like of the course there was camp. like yeah of course there were sort of tiffs and you know well right no, no, but i mean no, to no. have to like leave your friends in the summer no i there. loved going to ireland okay. in the summer it was it was amazing it was yeah. magic and we in some summers we went for the entire summer and some summers we just went for like three weeks so we'd still have time in boston and you know yeah 
Would there be music there too? Oh yeah, every night. It was just yeah, singing and everybody sings. It's like a, we're a big singing family. So it has traditional yeah. Irish. Nope, just like like more sort of like one of my my first performing memories is um they did karaoke in I think it was like 1993. I don't remember actually what year it was, but I think I was like 12 or maybe 11. And at the hotel, the Inchidani Hotel, which was like this dilapidated hotel on the beach that they've since renovated and turned into a five-star, the Lodge and Spa mm-hmm. at Inchidani Island. But they had a karaoke person come in, and I sang Leader of the Pack karaoke. And, and my cousin <laughs> Jack and Kevin, they sang, um, God, they sang Little Old Lady from Pasadena. Like, I will really, like, never forget that. Wow. And uh, we, we just, we kind of, like, took over the karaoke thing. And we were just, we were probably so annoying. Like, because it was adults who wanted to do karaoke and, like, all these obnoxious kids who loved yeah but you were also singing like doo-wop music i mean at least you weren't singing ace of bass we were obsessed with doo-wop music we were obsessed with this this um we had like a cd that came out around the time called 60s dance party Uh and our other favorite cd was this nancy griffith record that came out around then called um other voices other rooms with like all these old covers that she recorded i think that was Mm -hmm. amazing so it must have been like 94 whenever that record came out it was like the summer that that record came out that we did all the karaoke Wow. So you're about 10 years old, 11 or something? I guess I was, I was probably 12 or 11, yeah, because I was born in the end of 82, so yeah. So was it around? 82, baby. 82, yeah. All of us? Yeah. Uh-huh. Hell yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a good year. Yeah. You have the dog. A fine vintage. Yes. It is. It actually really is a fine vintage. Is it? That was like the best year for Bordeaux, I think. I've Ooh. never heard this. Yeah, I think it's Bordeaux. I'm not, I don't know. I should okay. ask somebody who knows. Look that up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So was it around that time that you remember having the spark like, ooh, this music thing is really cool? No, I wanted to be a musician since I was like five. I mean, it was much oh, earlier was than that. Yeah. I, wow. I, I remember I had a journal and I wrote like, I want to be a singer or a doctor. And I was definitely not going to be a doctor. <laughs> that, was, that was never in the cards. So, so you, it's been since then. Okay, but. Yeah. You mentioned Joan Baez. Did you want to do that kind of folky thing? or I got into that a little later okay. when I was in high school. I got really into sort of like that sort of era of folk music, like the sort of protest music and mm-hmm. the 60s. And that, that was when I was in high school. And I was just, you know, wanted to change the world. And and you're the product of public radio. Yeah. And I grew up in, in like, I feel like that Massachusetts. so much yeah, about you I, knowing I, that now. I think it's funny. I think when you're from Massachusetts or like Boston and it's just such a, such a liberal bubble that I, I don't, I didn't even really realize how, how much of a liberal bubble it was until, until like probably <laughs> too late. Like I was just... I was like, what? The, the rest of the world is not like this, <laughs> um, which is, is both great because I had, I mean, I had a great childhood and, and I loved where I grew up, but it's the world is a big place. Yeah. And I bet you have a lot of fans in parts of the country that are very different from where you grew up. They are. And I think that that's been a, a really incredible part of traveling and especially actually coming up in kind of the more bluegrass world mm-hmm. and and doing a lot of folk and gospel music and not not being, a, you know, a very a sort of you know, an evangelical Christian in any way, or even, even personally religious, although I do, I do love that music and I love the sort of spiritual nature of it. Um, sort of finding ways to, to be able to connect with people without alienating them or alienating myself. You know, I think that there's, Mm -hmm. that's kind of the, the cool thing about music is that it's supposed to bring people together and it's supposed to make, you know, supposed to bridge the gap. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so you started playing, more in high school did you have a band no nope, started playing started playing guitar more started kind of I was in choir and uh-huh. then you know a little bit playing a little bit of guitar but I was very bad at guitar um I was in seventh grade is when I sort of first wrote songs with my friend Sarah Heaton who is now an opera singer we had a band called Fairy Mist F-A-E-R-I-E of course and we wrote two songs that we recorded on cassette tape and submitted to a band contest um, and how'd you do? We did. We never heard back. Okay, <laughs> we never heard back. But the, the songs were. I think they were good. I should. I they should still hold up. They still hold up. We did this one. We wrote. We set an E.E. E. Cummings poem to music. We were also obsessed with E.E. E. Cummings. We were obsessed with the Indigo Girls, which is hilarious that you guys just had them on this podcast uh-huh. because, I mean, we were obsessed really? with the Indigo yeah. Girls. Yes, like we. This is still to this day a person who's one of my best friends, and then seventh grade. Which or sixth graders when we became friends, like how we became friends, is we would just walk through the halls of our middle school singing the song "Ghost" by the Indigo Girls. Amazing. There's a letter on the desktop. Like we were obsessed. We heard a lot That's of those kinds of stories then. at the Indigo Girls concert where we yeah. <laughs> recorded them. A lot of friendships came together over that band. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. They're still and they're still they're so badass. They're, they're killing so it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Um, okay, so and I then feel you like guys, I also want to be asking you guys questions because I feel like about this is like or just like about like hey, so where are you from? But it, it, it's like a one-sided <laughs> conversation. I feel bad. No, I mean, I'm no, glad we'll it feels that way. <laughs> I was gonna say you can, but no one cares. Um, so so you and she tried to submit these de- these tapes for the contest that didn't work out it didn't work out but i was i was not um i don't think i was too upset about it i don't i don't really remember maybe i was but uh we we didn't we didn't we kind of did it a little bit half-assed we didn't even go to the store and buy like a fresh cassette tape we recorded over i think like a red Sox game that my grandfather had recorded um so that you could kind of like still hear the like the boston sports announcer on the other like through it was just it was very good old days it was lo-fi um the the tape definitely still exists i really should try to find it i wonder if my parents still have it somewhere like made a copy and then send it we we didn't yeah we made a copy we made like we made a copy and we sent it but i think but even the you guys copy, didn't even send it maybe, well, i mean like, maybe we each thought like, the other one sent no, it or like our parents we were like 12 right. we weren't gonna like, like mom go to you the take this to the, yeah. yeah and she was like this sucks i'm not doing that <laughs> but you wrote song original songs yes we wrote one original song called lover's secrets and then set this e cummings oh. poem called maggie and millie and molly and made a music and can you sing any of it <laughs> not without reverb. Okay. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, not without it, a Red Sox game. It, it, needs, it needs the other part. It's a under. duet. It needs it needs both parts okay. and the piano. I'll, I'll try to find the tape and maybe you guys can fly it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. We'll leave it in. Okay. Um, and then but we'll, Indigo Girls. That makes so much sense. The harmonies. The, yeah, just, those, those they were super super influential on me as a as sort of like a young aspiring musician. I mean, very young, like twelve in middle school and in high school and also another group that we Sarah and I were obsessed with at that time was called The Story with Jennifer Kimball and Jonathan Brooke um a great sort of like 90s female duet uh band really yeah Yeah. how have we missed them I don't know okay where did you guys grow up just tell me that Ohio Connecticut Connecticut. okay well maybe they were maybe they were hip in Boston only I don't know (laughs) I don't know I just probably wasn't hip I, I was definitely not hip. I was a, I was a big nerd. I was just yeah. Three nerds born in the eighty two. Here we go. Oh my god! Cheers. So many commonalities. Look at us now. We're yeah, so exactly. cool. <laughs> so then what? Okay, this is my whole life story. Yes. Then then high school. The then then so getting into sort of folk music and Joan Baez and Bob Dylan and always was really into Joni Mitchell, of course, throughout that whole time. And then then decided to go to college to study contemporary improvisation. So how did the decision come to go to New England Conservatory versus anywhere else like Berkeley or? It was really random. It was sort of teacher based. My high school chorus teacher, who was a great mentor of mine, Rick Travers, um, he knew of this program at New England Conservatory with this great teacher, Rand Blake. And he just kind of encouraged, excuse me, encouraged me to audition. It was sort of based on ear training and based on sort of, you know, development of personal style. And I, by the end of my senior year, even halfway through my senior year, I kind of didn't have like a clear path of, I wanted to be a musician, but I was like, maybe I'll go to regular college and study history or do something, you know, do a liberal arts thing. Um, and I'm so glad that I was encouraged by him to, to go down the sort of conservatory route because I mean, I can't even imagine my life turning out in the other way. Do you know what I mean? Mm Uh, so Did your parents have a vote or what was their vote? They were, they were just super, they were excited no yeah. matter what they were, they were, I mean, nice. it's like liberal Boston family. They're like, whatever you want to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's again, the bubble thing. Like, uh-huh. Nobody's parents. No, I don't know if that's true though. Maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe people, it, parents were, were strict and were put a lot of pressure on their kids. My parents are just not that kind of, yeah, they're not that kind of people. Cool. They're had you been taking, had you been taking voice lessons I had yeah I took voice lessons in high school classical voice lessons and studied with a woman named Frances Kadenoff who's still amazing and comes to my shows in Boston and and, uh yeah my whole sort of musical all my teachers over the years are still I still see you know my teachers in college are still sort of a part of my life and we'll we'll show up at shows even Rand Blake the guy who was the head of the program at the conservatory he came in his wheelchair to a concert that I did at, at a club in Boston a couple of years ago. And, and it was just, it was incredible that he made the effort to show yeah. up at that. It was really amazing. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. So to what extent had you developed your style by the end of high school? Oh, I would say zero. I would say my style is, is, is now that I'm sort of, you know, in it, it's just still developing. I think it's never something that's, that becomes developed and then you sort of leave it at that. Um, but it was in college that I sort of kind of got the concept of, the, of a style, of having a style and not sort of just imitating somebody else's style. And really, that was, that was, I think, my major takeaway from the program that I did at New England Conservatory was sort of the individuality in music and the ability to be fluid in music and sort of take in your influences and sort of turn them into your own creative fire, if that makes sense. Uh, I think as a... Perf- That's awesome. Yeah. As, well, as a performer, I think you, especially when you're, when you're just sort of finding your voice, it's, it's hard to you know, you, you end up, you want, you want to imitate other people and you want to, you, you, you're inspired by somebody. So you might try to emulate what they do with a sound or with, with lyrics or with harmonic structure. And I'm sure I still do that and without even knowing it now, but it's, it's, you, you know, it's all about being comfortable with who you are and figuring out how to make your voice come through with, with whatever it is that you're working on. Yeah. But these ideas were present in your college experience yes, ex- exactly and, yeah that was it was really? actually a huge part of the curriculum was sort of was style and, and really studying people people who had come up I remember we did you know there's a class called development of personal style and there was a class called long-term development of long-term melodic memory and short-term melodic memory and listening to these recordings did you of, not have these classes no. at the new school <laughs> <laughs> you went to the new yeah, school yeah for music for jazz yeah for singing oh for jazz mm-hmm. for jazz voice yeah and really what so who did I know who went there at that time you know so well, I was there yeah yeah oh I love Becca Stevens Great. yeah is that a teacher? No, she's no, a she's student. student. Oh. She's a little younger, though. Maybe like a year younger? She, yeah, she's a few years younger. Yeah. I went there when I was older, so I was... Okay. Yeah, so I was there at the same time. Yeah, well, it's it was it's a really cool program. What? It sounds Yeah, unusual. and it was just... And, and also, the, the my year, I think it sort of depends who's there from year to year, but my sort of crop of students that were there, when I was there, everybody was just so engaged and so down to just try anything and so there was no sort of like no shame. It wasn't the thing where I feel like I have I see in music schools these days, or even even like teaching at camps, or I just did a, a week residency teaching at Oberlin, and there's sort of like people are kind of scared to try stuff. Hmm. And maybe it was because in like in 2000 to 2004 when I was there, 2003, there was like nobody really had laptops. Nobody really almost nobody had cell phones. And like people were just kind of down to just jam all night and like just play weird music. And if you want it, if you like wrote a weird thing, you could be like, will you try this with me? And people would be like, yeah, absolutely. I'll meet you in the practice room in, in 10 minutes. And it and was just like that's changed. Well, maybe it hasn't changed, but it's like I, I, it's definitely changed for for me. I feel like I don't have that sense of same like spark anymore being like, I'll try anything. I'm like, I just want to have coffee and go to bed. <laughs> well, it's, it's very different. Now. Yeah, I, mean, I guess you're, you're right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm not in college. <laughs> Unfortunately. No, Unfortunately, just joking. Right. Just joking. <laughs> God help no. me. Um, but it's, it's, I don't know how, I, I'm just really glad I was sort of in college before. I think there were like less distractions then actually, quite honestly, especially my freshman year, especially sort of like figuring out what kind of like course of study, what kind of who, who I wanted to play with. And there was, there was no distraction. Like people weren't on their phones. People weren't on Facebook. People weren't mm-hmm. doing really anything except for like playing music with each other. And that, yeah, that definitely has changed. So you started in 2000. Yeah. So Napster hit when, during your freshman year, right? I guess, but nobody was even like, people literally did not have laptops. I don't know if like the people who went to NEC were just like not into it, but like I did not have a laptop until 03. Did you have desktops? Nope. There was one some people Whoa. had desktops yeah, wow. like people because you didn't like need it you had maybe yeah. some people did I, I guess were you writing did you have to write papers ever or? yeah but there was a computer lab which was like where all the cool social activity happened <laughs> totally it was so yeah, fun. That, that's universal I think, yeah. yeah the computer lab was where we all hung out yes and, like, I do miss the computer, computer labs lab, and there was late nights exactly. all nighters so much yeah. fun and then you the go home lab. and you're done yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> so exactly. Much. Totally. Well, you could write with the 
pen yeah. and paper. Yeah. No, I didn't. I did not get a laptop until '03, and there's also a computer on each floor of the dorm in like the main area. Was there a phone booth? There was probably a phone booth on the first floor of the dorm. I know this is. Let's talk about something else. No, it's so interesting. I think it's so interesting. Do you like? Did you have to write charts? Oh yeah, we do write. Yeah, I write. Yeah, do that. I wonder if they they still do. do I wonder if they do still at the new school. They must because you still have to have the skill to be able to write a chart if you're doing a session with somebody and you're like, oh shit, I didn't bring the chart. Right. No, 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 no. But don't but they feels, aren't there programs for that now? Like when you whip out a yeah, but that just takes so much longer. I feel like it's so much easier to just make a chart by hand. But maybe that this like I really no. sound like an old fogey now. <laughs> no, I don't know. I wonder what the. It's great. We're like old ladies at lunch <laughs> yes. right now. We're not that old. Come on. I'm very comfortable with it. I'm yeah, very happy. totally. But um, <laughs> well, I didn't go to music school, but I took mandolin lessons a couple years ago. From who? I, um, some guy at the Hollywood Music Academy in LA. Cool. But I just bring it up because I was made to practice to Crooked Stills Shady Grove. You are joking. <laughs> and so there was like two weeks, which that I just put together yesterday, where I was practicing again and again and again to you. That is <laughs> like so practicing weird. a mandolin chop or something? I was or like uh, practicing the melody. Like, da 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 yep. da, 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 da. <laughs> That's so cute. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so thanks. Thanks for no helping problem. me. No problem. That's, yeah. a, that's a pretty old recording. It's from 04. Yeah, it was early, right? Very early. Yeah. Yeah. Early on. So you're my musical education. Oh, great. I love <laughs> <Very> that. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So what's your thinking career-wise while you're in school? Are you are you concerned about that? How much are you thinking? Like, how viable of a career am I going to have when I get up? No, because what 18 year olds thinks that way? That's true. I know, but I think it's so interesting that music, since you're kind of in vocational school. Yeah, you are. Right. You're exactly. You're you are. definitely in vocational <laughs> right. school. Yeah. And you're. I know, but you guys don't act like it. I know. I know. I, I wasn't really thinking that way at the time. Um, of, and also, I had sort of like odd jobs all through college, too. I like babysat and I had worked at a pizza place and like I still did other stuff. Right. And you're like, even, I'll just babysit. Yeah. Even when, yeah, it was like I actually had an amazing babysitting job that I still had until I was like 25 uh, that I loved. And it's, I actually really, it's like my biggest advice I would say to like young musicians is don't be afraid to just get a regular job so that you can still be really stoked on music and not be totally broke trying to play crappy gigs. Cause I think that yeah. that's. I think a that's lot of an people, interesting uh, debate. I mean, a regular job though was your babysitting thing like it was a, a nine to five. No, okay. but flexible is the key I, to regular. Okay, yes, but, but like, don't I think there's a lot of young people now who, especially musicians, who think that there's even people who are my own age who are musicians who who are broke who sort of feel like if they get any kind of job that's not music that they've somehow failed, and I just I, I so strongly don't subscribe to that. Is there a point at which you say there it, that is? the case in a way I don't think so I feel like I feel like some of my favorite musicians even people who are professional musicians who I who I kind of came up playing with have had jobs the whole time like in Boston especially in the bluegrass scene all the great bluegrass players in Boston would show up on Tuesday nights at the Cantab and they were they all worked at like MIT or they were lighting designers or they they had jobs and they were great musicians and they played gigs and they made extra cash on the side and they, they loved music so much and that they raised their families and they had jobs. And I, I feel like, of, of course, that's, I'm not saying that everybody has to have a job, but I think that the shame sort of associated with like the musician having a day job, I just, I, I really think is entitled and weird. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, maybe I'm alone in that. No, Do I think I, I don't disagree at all. Um, it's just interesting in the context of the sort of level of success where I'm seeing you. Right. And I think... I think the conception of what does it mean to be a success goes hand in hand with you don't need to pay the bill some other way other than music. Right. But that's I think that that's not true at all. That's that's sort of the thing. And I I mean, of course, I haven't had a a job outside of music in many years, but and I feel very lucky for that. But it's it's not that I think success is is such a strange. This is a thing. What is success? It's such a strange word because it's like success breeds success. And if you sort of if you try to sort of emanate success, then you're more successful just by the nature of the fact that you're you're acting like you're successful. That's I think that's true. (laughs) Okay, let's say contentedness, happiness in your daily work. Right. So the key would be then to have a job other than music that is completely fulfilling and that means that there needs to be a space in you that has that right but I think for some people the job itself doesn't have to be fulfilling but the fact that they're making enough money to pay their rent and then music can be the thing the place where they they're completely fulfilled you know what I mean Mm -hmm. um 
Yeah, but of course it's different. It's different for everyone, a hundred percent. But that's very interesting. Yeah, well, in terms of how, like, how I saw, what was I thinking about my career and how it was going to go mm-hmm. when I was freshman sophomore in college? I, I certainly didn't think I, I had pretty clear goals for myself of what I wanted to achieve and how I wanted to sort of go about achieving them, but they weren't necessarily tied to financial success Mm -hmm. they were more tied to sort of this is this is I want to write music and I want to record music and I want to be I want to have you know a band that people know about and I want to sort of you know be gain some notoriety and etc yeah that's the the sticking point Mm -hmm. right I want to gain some notoriety I want to have a band that people know about right and the more that that can, then that would be true. The more that you're then right. That's just part of the dream. Exactly. It's like I want to be a musician. I want to play music all the time. But I also want people to know about it, and for that to be right. Of course. Uh, and I think that I think that you need that though to a yeah. certain extent to to make it happen. Unless you're one of the very lucky people who's just sort of plucked from obscurity and everybody loves you. Yeah, and yeah. it must be so interesting because you kind of then came up in the switchover from they're not being the internet to they're being the internet yeah. and, and how do you gain notoriety as a musician pre 2005 2006 it was yeah you know God. it's a very different game it's i think such a different game I mean, it's, and it was really word of mouth i feel like when when right you purpose. didn't have to promote yourself too hard back then because there weren't as many tools to no and you had actually had a lot more you time to, to like, play music right, right. you didn't have to spend like all of your time like, on instagram yeah worrying about the next post or yeah. like your freaking email list i mean mm-hmm. it was it's like it's <laughs> oh lady yeah so, so i yeah, I, I, like yeah. sandwiches yeah <laughs> we're changing the name of this podcast immediately <laughs> yeah i love it uh yeah it was like flyers and um yeah and even just sort of yeah, exactly. Flyers. It was it, that was was that really what it was? Right? I think it was, and like a street team to put up your posters. Yeah. So is that what you were doing when yeah, you got out? With, well, with with Crooked Still. So when yeah. I so it was all Crooked Still until you know until 2011. Right. right. So you met. So, so you're in college. In college, <laughs> and I started playing with a band called The Wayfaring Strangers. That that was sort of my first like professional engagement. Um, Tracy Bonham was in that band. You guys should have her. Yes. On yes. What? She's such a badass. Oh my god. Yes, good recommendation because she's married to Jason Fine, who's a friend of a friend of mine. Excellent. So yes, and she anyway. she just has had like such an interesting. Is that mother mother? Yeah, such she's an cool. interesting Goodness. career trajectory. I've been in her house in Woodstock. Hmm. I don't think she would remember, but I will remind her of that. Yeah. <laughs> get her on this podcast. Yeah, get her on the podcast. Yeah. How did that happen? So well, she, she was she was a former student of Mac Glazer, the guy, the chair of the string department at Berkeley, started this band. It was like a nine piece jazz bluegrass fusion band and and I sang in it and Jennifer Kimball who I mentioned before who was in the group called The Story so I was getting to sing with this you know hero of mine from eight years previous and sorry is there much uh interplay between Berkeley and New England not so much there's probably a lot more now than there was then but um I met Matt through a how did I I don't even remember how I met him I think at the fest at the recital of a classmate of mine who did have some connections with Berkeley a fiddle playing classmate of mine so, and so that's where did you play uh, bluegrass at the at the conservatory? Not really. I kind of got into it toward the end of the end of the year. Okay, and then learned a bunch of tunes to sing with the Wayfaring Strangers at the Philly Folk Fest, and that was like my first gig. And I did a bunch of gigs with those guys, like two thousand one, two thousand two, two thousand three. And we were like, I love this music. Like this is it. Yeah, I loved it, and it was just so fun to like actually perform in front of crowds and and work on harmony singing and all that stuff. And then Crooked Still started around that same time, and kind of started like learning that repertoire and making up these arrangements for the band and in 2004 we went to folk alliance and that's sort of how we kind of like decided to be a band we we're kind of playing locally around boston at the cantab and club Hasim. and hey, then take us through a little bit a little bit more in detail so you met one member Corey, the bass player Corey okay. demario went to nec and then greg list went to mit he's getting a phd and the cellist rashad eggleston had went to berkeley and were any of them part of Wayfaring? Nope. They okay. were just all all uh, all regular kind of Cantab. The Cantab Lounge was like where the whole music scene in Boston, the whole like bluegrass scene was sort of based around. And we all just met, you know, kind of met hanging out there. When did you fall into bluegrass? Then. At the end of my freshman year of college, right after our brother were out there came in. Okay. Came out. Oh, was that yeah. what did it? <laughs> it's kind of what, it's not necessarily what did it, but it's kind of what got me... When I went to the Cantab, like right after that movie came out, I was like, oh, this is this is that thing. I actually remember Natalie Portman was was there one of those very first times I went to the Cantab because she was at Oh, Harvard. is that when she... Yeah. yeah. yeah she was. And um, that's funny. 
everybody's like, oh, Natalie Portman's here. This is, this is really <laughs> strange. She went to the Bluegrass Night at the Cantab. I really wonder if she remembers that. Um, but yeah, then I got really into Bluegrass and sort of, it was a natural thing, obviously, because like the whole folk mm-hmm. thing from the 60s, that was already a Bluegrass revival then. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of having its an, a, another revival in sort of like the bigger sphere in the early 2000s. And yeah, that kind of led me on the crooked still path. Very cool. So you you all were friends. You all had, and you felt this musical camaraderie come together. And then was there some writing that happened? How did it? No, we never yeah. really wrote for that band. It was all sort of traditional, like bluegrass repertoire, like bluegrass and gospel, and sort of like old timey repertoire, and a couple of a couple of covers, but mostly traditional music that we would sort of rearrange. Um, how would you choose it? Where would you find it? We would find it from a lot of like our first record was pretty like a lot of standards that we just kind of rearranged in this weird way, and um, I think that's why people kind of latched onto it was because the cello and the banjo we sort of did it in a different way than people had been doing these standards and uh-huh. as the band kind of progressed we would dig really deep into sort of archival recordings and find old super obscure old songs and kind of arrange them with this sort of sound that our band had come to yeah yeah to am represent. i wrong to think that there is a connection to irish music not at all um sort of the way that the that music kind of evolved in the united states was that in in appalachia mm-hmm. Uh, what became old time music was sort of these fiddlers from Ireland and Scotland, like way back when sitting on the porch playing these tunes and kind of over the generations, they would sort of turn into more droney, the old time, old time fiddle music, old time Uh Appalachian mountain music. And then um, Bill Monroe invented bluegrass music, sort of a combination of that, the music of his uncle Penn on the fiddle sort of mixed with jazz and blues and, Mm -hmm. and kind of became that became bluegrass and then that became a whole genre in and of itself with Bill Monroe and Jimmy Martin and sort of Flatt and Scruggs and the people of that era and the Carter family sort of writing new songs that then became firmly a part of the bluegrass vocabulary thank you for defining that for me because I get confused sometimes like my my dad when I was growing up was always playing this kind of music but it was like Irish folk music slash string band music slash bluegrass. And I kind of understood how those things connected, but I can never describe it to any of my friends yeah, at it's, all. It's like started with the, pe- the immigration from the old country right. to the mountains and okay. then went a little further down the mountain. Yeah. So was your family into you going into that direction of oh, bluegrass? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. They, they, were, they were huge fans. They're, my parents are just huge music fans in general, so mm-hmm. they were into it, still into it. So then how did the evolution of the band happen? I mean, like, what was next? You guys clearly became... Yeah, we became a band. We we played in Boston locally. Then we went to Folk Alliance in 04 and got our first couple gigs. Got a gig at Falcon Ridge Folk Festival and Newport Folk Festival. And so we were like, oh, we should make a record. We should make an album. So that's because we had gotten these two big gigs, we made an album. Okay. And it's so it's hilarious to think about how different the music industry was then because we went and made an album you know, with money that Greg had saved up. And we went to Falcon Ridge Folk Festival and we sold 1,100 albums at the festival. Wow. Wow. Like wow. that day. And you were unknown at that point. Yep, we just played at the festival and that, that day I think it was like 1,132 oh albums. God. How many I people are at that festival? Like you sold an album to every that, yeah, person like who... That. No, no, it was but, huge. Back then it was like... 15,000 people whoa. or something, was it, or maybe 10,000 But in a day? I think that's unheard of today. Like, that could never, in a day. No, no, it I mean, could never happen again. Well, yeah, well, especially, I mean, what's an album now? Buy, no one's right, going to buy right, that. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. Now I'm wondering yeah. if it was like 800, but it was definitely like, still, it was an, abs- an oh absurd number. So, and you, you even had that many with you. Yeah, no, because we, we, yeah. we had been told, because it was like that. That's what happens if you break out at a festival, you sell a thousand records. And you're like, okay, I guess. Never brought that many. Yeah, did you too many van? Wow, you uh, you made your own album. Did you? Now I sell like ten albums at a show, and I'm like, (laughs) yes, yeah, (laughs) Um, big night. (laughs) It's crazy. Um, Did you go into the studio yourselves? Like, how did you? Yeah, we went in with a friend of ours, um, this fiddle player friend of ours, Hanukkah Castle, and she produced it. She you know took all the notes and helped us you know get the right takes. And I got we did it in like three days. Wow. Are you still in college at this point? Just finished. So, so far, yes, it was just finished. Okay. And were you like, th- I mean, Crooked Stills is like, is going to take you all these places? I guess, Did yeah. Was, well, at, the, at this time, I'd also sort of like, I decided, I had thought about making a solo album a couple of years previous and 
Wayfaring Strangers have put out an album in 02, and I was sort of like thinking maybe I'll do a solo record and I'll be the next Alison Krauss or whatever, you know, but mm-hmm. that, that I'm cl- really glad that it, we kind of stuck with the Crooked Still thing and went down that path because it just ended up being really fun and it was great. I, I'm so glad I came up in a band and not, not yeah. spent my 20s sort of like slogging it out doing the solo thing. Because um, when you're on tour with a band with your best friends, it's just, it's so fun. And we yeah. just, we had the best years. It was just crazy, you know, definitely slogging it out and sleeping like five people in a hotel room and playing great gigs and very crappy gigs, uh-huh. you know, sometimes back to back. And not um, going for a run every morning. No, God, at that this, point. this is like the era of like Papa John's and right. yep. <laughs> like we, the whole crooked still, um, all, all through our touring life we would we toward the end of it we traveled with a minivan and a trailer and on the trailer we had like all of our camping gear we would like camp all the time we had oh, a cooler wow. full of course light we were just like we were awesome. we were pretty hedonistic i would say how many yeah. of you were in the van there were four up until 2007 and then in 2007 the original cellist left and he was replaced by a cellist named tristan claridge and a fiddle player named Brittany haas so then mm-hmm. i had another girl in the band and it was so fun and we, <laughs> and we just we had so much fun how was that when the cellist left, how was that process? It was, it was what it was, you know, it was, it was, it was definitely time for a change. And I think a lot of people, he was very, um, huge personality just to sort of put it mildly. I don't know if you guys have checked him out, Rashad Eggleston, the wild Snee goblin. He's sort of like a crazy, crazy performer from another planet. And, um, some people, we definitely lost a few fans probably because his personality was just so enormous and hilarious and bizarre. There was sort of like a, you know, always a fear factor of watching a show and thinking like, what's he going to do? You know, sometimes he would like jump off the stage or strip down literally to like a pink thong and perform a song. No joke, like really extreme, bizarre, erratic behavior. Um, But he's, he's a a performance artist and he still is. And I'm really glad that he left when he did because I think he was able to sort of figure out his own thing and he's, he's doing his own thing and reaching tons of people. And it's great for him. And we were able to kind of Re- reclaim the sort of musical um I think the thing that, that we we were trying to go for for yourself did you ever ponder if maybe pursuing that particular genre was going to have a ceiling that was lower than maybe if you were going after it in a pop genre for example um <sighs> I don't think I ever thought about it in that way, but it, I, th- I think it was probably obvious that the ceiling in that genre was was going to be much lower than had I been going for. Like, I mean, it doesn't have to be, but well, it, it, it kind of does. Is, I mean, I think yeah. unless you're unless you're unless you cross over, unless you're somebody like Alison Krauss right. who, who actually does the crossover, or even Bela Fleck who was able to sort of collaborate with Dave Matthews and mm-hmm. in that remember that those eras those days. Um, <laughs> Not to date ourselves again. I know. How many Dave Matthews concerts <laughs> did you go to? <laughs> More than one. Yeah. Um, but. I think one of the great things about the bluegrass world and that community, it's, it is such a supportive community, even, even kind of fast forward to when fossils came out. And even now it's like a lot of people, even though I think the music that I'm making now is pretty far from, from that genre, Mm -hmm. people are still supportive. And my friends in that community and those festivals and like that whole world is still just like a huge part of, you know, my musical, the fabric of my musical life. Yeah. I mean, it seems like once you get to a certain level in that world, you get to start playing with everybody. (laughs) The collaborations just just get insane. Exactly. There's a huge, there's a huge, the collaborations are crazy. And it's also like your, your heroes are not that far removed, you know? So you get to, I remember being at a festival a couple of years ago at Delfest, actually at Del McCurry's festival and getting to sing with Del McCurry and Tim O'Brien and being like, See, this is this is as good as it gets, and this is the best thing ever. Yeah, and you've worked with Chris Thelia a lot, a right? Bunch, yeah, and he's yeah. a good friend, and he's like the master mandolinist. He's the master of the world now. Yes. Hey, I, saw I mean, a little bit of the uh, respect of to Sam Bush. Grow but... a band. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah, which is a documentary on his just developing Punch Brothers. Mm-hmm. He's a prodigy. Yeah, he's a total prodigy. Yeah, he's he's crazy. But he's it's amazing. It, yeah, it seems like the world. Like it's a small world. I mean, the bluegrass community. I'm sure, you know, once you get to a certain point, you kind of know. Yeah, you pretty much know everybody, and that's 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 the good thing about it. It's great, and everybody's everybody's so supportive. Everybody else. It's I think it's one of the few scenes where there's just like there's genuine excitement for what other people are doing, and it's it's great. How did you end up on the Goat Rodeo Sessions? That was a huge album. Yeah, that was it was pretty big. Um, through Chris, Chris and I have been good friends for many years, and. Uh, they had wanted to do something with a vocalist, a female vocalist, and he suggested me. And I remember we had drinks, and he's like, "I want you to do this project." And I was like, 
Had he what? assembled the other guys? Yeah, the other, it had already been going. They had already been working on the music. Okay. And then they kind of brought me in sort of toward the middle of the process. And um, yeah, it was pretty crazy. Yo-Yo Ma, Edgar Meyer, and... Stuart Duncan. Yeah. Great fiddler. And that was, that was so fun. What a, what a crazy whirlwind of a... And that was like Grammy time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Grammy time for... I, I didn't actually get my own Grammy. I was just going to say I was on a Grammy, Grammy winning album. That's not bad. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> so when did the decision to go solo happen? It sort of happened... Um, it was kind of a long time coming. I think Crooked still had... We had put out five studio albums, I think. Yeah, five studio albums and a live album. And we it was just sort of time to make a change and uh-huh. we didn't break up and we played a show this summer we played some shows last year and it's still so fun to play with those guys but are they continuing on as a band no or? no no okay. it's uh it was just it was time for everybody to sort of i think focus on other things how did you feel feel that how, how, how did i how did we come, did, up, like, yeah, come to that did, yeah um i think it was just sort of well what you're saying like the ceiling we just sort of i think that like some of the creative energy had sort of maybe run its course for for then you know what I mean not that it's run its course forever it was just I think it was just needed a change it needed something needed to happen to sort of revitalize it and, and mm-hmm. hopefully we'll we'll do something else in the future but um definitely time for a change who was the first one to vocalize it I think I think yeah. me um okay. it was but it was it was not really met with resistance I mean it was Greg the banjo player had, had a new had a new band he was really excited about uh uh-huh. Um, Corey had wanted to be home a little more. Brittany had a lot of stuff going on and Tristan runs music camps and does a lot of, it was just, it wasn't like anybody it was, well, A, it was never a full-time thing. We were not on it the wasn't. road. We were, we were, we all still did other things. And I really wanted time to just really focus on doing a solo thing and not sort of try to squeeze it into the cracks between Crooked Still tours. Mm-hmm. Well, you also had two other bands or is it two other bands? Is it is I'm with her and sometimes why are those different bands? Yes. Yeah, so sometimes why was a band um, that played a lot in like oh six, oh seven, oh eight, and oh nine, and kind of haven't really played very many shows since 2010 at the at the most, and um, probably played like two shows since 2010. And I'm with her is a band that only existed this last year, so that's a brand new band. Oh, so I'm with her overlaps with your solo. Yes, I'm with her is a brand new band. Yeah, and sometimes why I was a band in like 06 to 2010. Was one of them the same in it? Or nope, is it? Okay. just me. Yeah. Um, my father's waiting for I'm With Her to come to Columbus, Ohio, so I just have to put in a special request. Okay, okay, <laughs> yeah. Keep that in the back of your mind. 2017, 2017. <laughs> he was like, we're still waiting. You can tell her. Lincoln like, okay, Theater. Dad. Yeah, Lincoln Theater. Exactly. Great. So then sometimes why does overlap with Crooked Stills? Exactly, Crooked Still. Yeah, singular. Crooked Still. Um, <laughs> it, sometimes why was a band, a trio, another female singing trio, um, that kind of came out of of the scene that I'm talking about, the like late night bluegrass festivals with all your friends scene was in my early 20s. And Ruth Unger, uh, who was one of the other women in it, and Kristen Andres, and they were in a band called The Mammals and Uncle Earl. We were all sort of in these raucous string bands playing these same festivals, and we wanted a band that we could, like after, you know, at the end of the night when everybody's jammed their face off and there's, you know, there's no more beer, there's only whiskey, <laughs> the lights go down and you're sitting around the campfire and you're just singing quiet songs. That was the sort of, and we would sit and we would just sing quiet, really intensely personal, romantic, quiet songs. And it was beautiful, beautiful band. And we made two records uh, and one came out in 05, God, or 06. Maybe it was even 05. It was, it was a long time ago. And then 2009 was the second record. But that was really the first time that you got to experiment a, a bunch with harmony. Yeah, with exactly with harmony as as an adult in my career for sure. I've always, you know, it was so great to get to be working on these weird harmonies with those two, and um, but it was it was a very specific aesthetic as well. And actually, we went on tour, opening for Chris Thiele and How to Grow a Band in the fall of 06 and a bunch in 2007 as well. So it was, it was really, wow. really, really fun band. We would pile into, to like a tiny car and with yeah. a Wurlitzer and our ukuleles and banjos and sort of before everybody was doing the ukulele thing. We right. <laughs> <laughs> and was that, did that reach a level where you were able to, where that was, it was, that was always a very, very small side project. That was just like, we would do records and we would do like, you know, two weeks of touring a year. It was never the, the, the goal of that band was never, more than that it was always a small you know like we had our time it was very sacred and it was really fun but it wasn't it wasn't you know we never wanted to bring that to a bigger scale right so the video i saw from 2009 of you guys at banjo gyms that was sometimes why yeah sometimes (gasps) why yep yep a song called too repressed a song called too repressed yep my my anthem 
<laughs> did you write? Did you write it? I did. Oh my god, it's so good. And it, because I had seen the term uh, noir, folk noir, folk noir, and my I thought to myself, "What is that?" Yeah. And then I saw that song. And I said, "I kind of understood." Yep, folk noir. Exactly. <laughs> Wait, explain it. It's a it's an X rated song. Okay. Yes. It's an X-rated song. And I wrote that song after a festival in North Carolina. It's just, it's, it's just a very silly, it's, but it's a, I still love that song. And I think that recording, um, you should, you should check out the album version of it. It's a, it's a good recording. It's, um, yeah, it has some X-rated lyrics on it. It's, it's a, it's sort of like a female empowerment sex anthem, I would say. Oh my God. And it's just so charming. I mean, I've been to Banjo Jams. It's this tiny little dive. It's not, there hasn't been there in years. Oh, I didn't even realize. Yeah, it closed like probably five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Prospect Park. Yeah, right. <laughs> no. um, but it's, uh, I mean, it was like a little, you know, you're you're in Crooked Cell, you're in this band and you're playing in this little intimate, intimate yeah. place. Well, and- sometimes why was that, that was, we only wanted to play tiny intimate places because the vibe of that band was like very mm-hmm. late night. Like it had to be dark. It had to be uh-huh. whiskey. It whiskey. had to be, yeah, it had to, it could not be like, nobody could be talking at a sometimes why show because it was extremely quiet music and very intimate and we would sort of play musical chairs and we, there's three chairs and whoever was singing lead would sit in the front chair and sit, sing into one. We'd all sing into one microphone. It was very special. That's also just so lovely. I mean, I, I sing in a sort of pop rock band and the idea of, of being done playing your show or going to a show and then playing music for fun. Yeah. Like, that's not a thing. It's, uh, it's so it's just so lovely. And then the you idea said you guys of, like, just go home after. Oh, yeah. We're 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 to bed. You should try yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> it's so nice. It's it is really nice. It's it's amazing. That's actually the thing I think is that's the best part about playing music with your friends is, is that like you do still want to play afterwards you know you do still want to want to hang out and sing and jam so nice yeah it's lovely. but how about that solo career oh yeah this is a real this is a real retrospective guys. yeah yeah going all the way till today so okay so fossils so yeah fossils how, how did it feel getting in that studio by yourself it felt great yeah uh so sort of, sort of the, over the years i had been kind of like honing these couple of songs playing playing some original songs had some people in new york that i played with some great friends who are still oh my gosh excuse me please edit that out (laughs) um i bass player named jake silver a drummer named rob mcmillan and a guitar player named ryan scott and we all went into the studio together actually so they kind of flew out with me to Uh portland oregon i got to work with tucker martin who was that that had been sort of my dream to to get to make a record with him and we tracked eight of the 10 songs that ended up on Fossils as a band. And then they left and then Tucker kind of went to work on sort of producing the songs and pedal steel player from Boston flew out, Charlie Rose and my sister flew out and sang harmony. And really? Oh, yeah. Oh, so nice. Yeah. So it was, it was really fun. I'm really proud of that record. It was a, it was a, I think it was a good solid first effort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then what, what's new about the new album? So the new album uh, is, so after Fossils, you know, I toured a lot, a ton behind Fossils, a lot with the bands and a lot solo and did a lot of support stuff. And the new record, which came out in January 22nd, is called In the Magic Hour, and it's a collection of 10 songs, um, nine original, one traditional Irish folk song. I was wondering. Yeah. It's an old Irish folk song called Donald Ogue. Is that your grandfather? Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot of the songs are sort of written... It's sort of like, a, I guess, a meditation on like solitude and life and death. And, and a lot of it is inspired by my grandfather who passed away and I, my Irish grandfather. Um, so he he had like this beautiful life. He was 90, 93 when he died. And he had just had he had like one of those real magical Irish lives. He was a butcher, like, you know, not super educated, but like the most kind and warm man and just amazing and nine kids and 27 grandkids and just like a very warm and generous person. He loved singing. And yeah, so a lot of the songs are sort of inspired, not necessarily by him, but by sort of like that legacy and sort of childhood and nostalgia and all yeah. that stuff. What is that recording of him? That's, it's, on that's a track. recording of him, him singing a different song called The West's Awake from My Cousin's Wedding that my dad had sent to me. Wow. Yeah, so it's just sort of like, I, it was, so that was a real lovely. last minute thing to fly that in. I'm so glad we did. Yeah, yeah had you already like decided on that song yeah, and then the, you just was, worked it in. That was like, so it was done. mixed and I was like, oh my gosh, let's try to fly this in and it worked so perfectly. So it's really special. Yeah. That album is beautiful. Oh, thank mm-hmm. you so it's, much. Darling. It's so lovely. And it's one of those that can work, you know, I like 
and sort of zone out and it's just so pretty to listen to it's soothing it's like water it's like it's just like you know all enveloping and then if you zone in and listen to the lyrics it's beautiful poetry and thank you so much thank you and the title track makes me think of God Only Knows every single time That's I so start funny. It. Yeah, people, a lot of people have been saying that. They're like, it really reminds me of God Only Knows. Um, oh, yeah, I guess that. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's I just at the very I beginning, but it's like so distinctive that yeah. every time I'm like, oh, God Only Knows. <laughs> it's funny. Right, there's, it's a bit modern. It, like it has a modern It feel. does, yeah, mm-hmm. it does. I think that, the, so the difference, like the main difference, even though I worked with Tucker both times, the main difference um, was just that a lot of these songs, like I feel like Tucker was more able to kind of contribute to in sort of a production way. Uh-huh. Um, he was he was just so helpful in sort of figuring out what sounds were going to go on them and who was going to play on it and how to sort of really make it make it a record that that also is cohesive from start to finish. Yeah. So now you're hitting the road. Hitting the road. I just got back on Sunday from Europe. I did the first Whoa. round of touring. How'd it go? It was great. Yeah. It was really fun. Awesome. Yep, we were driving around. I have a new group out on the road with me, a guitar player and vocalist. This guy named Anthony DaCosta, who's amazing, and a drummer named Steve Nister. And so fun. Trio, no bass. It's like pretty weird and cool and low-strung guitar and great singing from him. And, uh-huh. Um, yeah, we were in Ireland and Scotland and England and Denmark. And then... Did your family come out yeah, to see you in Ireland? They did. My, my oh. parents even flew over. Really? They were there oh. in Ireland and in Scotland. They must be wow. so proud. <laughs> they just love to party, so they'll go anywhere. <laughs> they go anywhere that there's a party. It's just their excuse. They're like, we want to come to your show. Um, Where are you going to be playing in the States? So starting a U.S. tour next week on okay. Wednesday in um, Kansas. And actually at a conference, Folk Alliance in Kansas. And then... Or I guess it's Missouri, Kansas City. What's, mm-hmm. the, what's the correct thing? And then uh, Colorado, Phoenix, and then all up the West Coast. And then the sort of Midwest, East Coast portion starts at the end of March and playing. It ends in New York. Yay. Cool. Yeah. Back to Brooklyn. Big, well, Bowery Ballroom. Lower East okay. Side. But I'm saying you physically will go back I, to Brooklyn. I can't wait. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking us through that. Yeah. Thank you so much. You guys, I was like, whew. This yeah, is amazing. It was like catching up. Yeah, the whole with life. an old friend that we have now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so you live in Brooklyn? Yeah. Where do you live? Well, I'm in Bushwick now after many years in Park Slope. Okay, cool. That's like a that's like a reverse move, I feel like. It is. <laughs> it's been an adjustment. Yeah, what so what what brought you to I Bushwick? feel almost too old for my neighborhood. <laughs> I, you've got a striped blazer. I feel like you can you can rock it. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to dress the part. It's great. Yeah. I love Bushwick. Have you been to that restaurant Pharaoh? I have not, but have it's, heard of it? that's my hood, yeah. It's so good. Is it? It's so good. Have you okay, been to Bushwick? I'll go there. I have been to Bushwick. Yes, I go to Bushwick. <laughs> she rehearsed we in Bushwick. Bushwick. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, no, I swear I go to I Bushwick. There. Yeah. Which part of the city do you live in? Uh, East Village. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's like, that's close. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. It's very cool. It's very cool. <laughs> um, what song are you going to play for us today? I don't know. What song should I play? Oh, taking a request? Sure. In the magic hour? Can you? Sure, no problem. Awesome. All right, here we go. I'm Aoife, this is Magic Hour, live from the Chord Club. In the Magic Hour, when the moon is low, the sky is the kind of blue that you think you know, but you don't know. The driftwood is donkey runs around, and all the fairy children they run around, and all the other children they make no sound. Coast and the waves nip at your heels like a dog. Pull me closer. It's past the time of the dinner bell, but before the shine of Ryan's belt, and the sky is still blue than a blue bell. Fish 
sticks and stones Extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.